recording and we're live cool all right so we are back to talk about um chapter four of the creativity talks which is all about the precepts of creativity which i love because it really unpacks creativity and what's important about creativity why it matters um our drives the reason we do it this is the academic part but without it then it doesn't come to this amazing climax right after when you realize all the components of creativity all combine to uh, function so powerfully for the human race and the entire world and everything in it so, yeah yeah i mean to me this is like the kind of the meat of yeah. of the book so far um it was a, a pretty uh like dense chapter like packed full of yeah. a lot of really important yeah. information and i will send you the link so you can put it in here where i do um, a, a lecture of this chapter so the people that aren't super academic that are reading the book maybe just want to watch the chapter want watch the video instead of reading the chapter um and i condense the whole in, enormous chapter with all of the information into like 30 minutes right. um, and it's easier for some people to just listen to it but anyway so here we go okay okay um i'm just getting to my point in my notes Okay, so you you talk about um, the definitions of creativity that are out there with mm -hmm. like with this, the prominent scholars who are talking about creativity, um, and you mention that first you mention it seems that most people have some personal experience with creativity, mm -hmm. and because the proof is that they can manage to summon some kind of definition in this right. experience that you had with asking your students um and so you contend that the process of creativity is is familiar even to non-creatives or however you classify that that type right. of just, person. just the fact that someone would say oh i'm not creative well clearly they have an assumption or some kind of a relationship with creativity and they've chosen that you know they're not in a relationship with creativity even though they are so right and then after that you have um you say it you pronounce it better than me Chickson Mahaley. Oh, yeah. Mahaley, Mahaley. I practice it. Chickson Mahaley. Um, Chickson Mahaley, but I'm probably doing it wrong, but that's how I say it. Yeah, Chickson Mahaley. Yeah, how many times have you said that word? Um, yeah, so he basically is saying that creativity requires a certain level of mastery within a specific domain, um, yeah. which you go on to debunk at a certain point. And then David Bohm, um, who's kind of more in your in your camp, let's say, yeah. um believes that if every human would engage in creativity to their own individual capacity then the world would be less fragmented and more unified yeah yeah so that david bum wrote the book on creativity which is basically you know my bible so he's a quantum physicist and so he goes through things um that i don't go through things but i do borrow his major philosophy which is just that that our creativity is inherent in us and in everything in the world and that uh our fragmentation is is because we live like um we just live in a fragmented world where we don't realize that everything is whole and right. um 
uh, he calls it um, like, not like a hologram, but you know, just and not holism, but the fragmentation is what he believed separated him from like Einstein and from other physicists, because um, the fact that we are all connected and all matter is, is made of the same thing and we're all entangled basically is what he bases his studies on creativity on. And Mihaly, Csikszentmihalyi, you know, he's a scholar and he's the leading, the leading scholar. And I love how I just have to argue with that it's not true. And yeah. I know that it's not true because David Bohm was my first teacher. So I could right. read his work and say, no, that's not true. Create, you don't have to have a, you don't have to be a leader in your domain. You don't. And you yeah. and I have talked about this before. Um, so anyway, yeah, I mean, it seems like a really external measure um, of what creativity would be. It seems like a very external measure of a very intimate internal process that has external repercussions. Right, right. right. Yeah. Right. And, you know, it, it, once you get into his canon, all of his canon, not just this one particular book, you know, he goes on, you know, to, to talk about flow. And if you're a chef and you get into flow and how even as an artist and you're not an expert in your domain, if you're just a, a chef at a restaurant and you, you nobody even knows who you are, you're still contributing. So he doesn't necessarily um, support his own thesis in flow as much. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. It is. Um, yeah, and then you talk about a lot of different thinkers, you know, Daniel Pink from Why Right Brainers Will Take Over the World. Um, and you talk about Elizabeth Gilbert and her kind of conception of creativity and big magic, which I loved personally. Yes, I, loved yes. that book. I needed it. I needed yeah. it because I take it. And so do you. We yeah. take everything so seriously. And, and, you know, her, one of her main tenets was just don't take yourself so seriously. There's got to be a little trickster. Totally. You got to, you got to play. And actually your whole thing, because you are very serious and intense is yes. to learn to play. Yeah. Exactly. That that's my medicine. That's my antidote to mm -hmm. my small self or my false self. Right. Yeah. So mm -hmm. yeah, I loved her story in, in big magic. My favorite was the story about the Balinese dancers and how, um, they they were they started to perform their dances for the for the western tourists basically and then at some point these western tourists came in you know kind of like woke western tourists and they were like wait wait these are sacred dances you can't perform them for us you have to keep them private for your own culture you know and so the balinese made up their made up new dances so these are the ones we can perform for the westerners these are the ones we keep sacred because the westerners were like uncomfortable seeing their sacred dances or whatever and and then, at, and then it just became this thing where it was like, wait, wait, now, now the dance we're doing for the Westerners is also sacred because the dance itself is sacred, right? The expression that the yeah. dance is, is the sacred part. It's not like there's some special yeah. secret, sacredness to I it. I forgot right? about that. Did, did she do a TED talk too about that? I haven't seen it, but I just remembered that story because it was so classic. It's so classic about classic. Like, the Western mind and yeah. put categorizing things. Yeah. This is sacred. This isn't. It's like the whole thing is sacred, you know? Isn't that um, neat? I like that. Thank you. I, I should have put that in there. It's really good. I forgot all about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good one. But you put some other stuff in here. You talk about um, how she likens creativity to a ghost that flies in and out of a person's life yeah. offering ideas. Yeah. Um, but the, only those with dedication can follow them to receive fulfillment. So that's a little bit like the muses in, in Greek. Yeah. Mythology. Yeah. She does talk about that. Yeah. 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 And so 
And maybe that's true and maybe it's not for when you're trying to produce something. And that's why people get online and look up TED Talks on creativity and look up help, help me, I need to be creative because they want to be more creative. And that's why my, my approach is not the how-to approach. It's not at all. It's right. why and what is. And then, of course, you realize every freaking thing you do all day long is a, an opportunity to interact with true creativity. Yeah. And you get into that more yeah. as we go yeah. into this chapter. I mean, this chapter is so full of things. I think it might take us several, several episodes to get through everything. Cause I don't want to glaze over it. So well, we can gonna... cherry pick, we can cherry pick, but the last one is the, the best one. I'm mean, not the best one, but the, the one that, you know, propels us to the next point right. in the, in the um, motivational sequence, which is, you know, what's the problem and what's the solution. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you also talk about Julia Cameron and her reference to creativity as the abandoned orphan um, and how she guides artists to recovering that relationship yeah. with basically their inner child, what what like pop psychology or maybe I don't know exactly what field of psychology would say is the inner child. Um, mm -hmm. And I love that. That really resonates with me. Obviously, you know, my my kind of like stance is that this is something that I experienced without self-consciousness as a child. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, many of us experience uh, the critic kind of take over, like, am I an artist? Am I not an artist? Am I, yeah. creative? Am I not creative? And, and don't you just love don't you just love that you experienced it first to where you realized, OK, I have an orphan or you call it whatever. And I have a critic and you call it whatever Stephen Pressfield. I think he called it. Um, I don't think he calls it a, de a devil. It's just resistance, any, any form of resistance. Um, and she calls it the critic. And I don't know what you called it. My best friend, JJ calls things like the gremlins, but um, isn't it weird when you experience something and you discover it, you think you did, and then you read it like in a book and you go, Oh my God, that happened to me. I, I was, I had an orphan and I called it the critic. Right. And, yeah, and yeah. I mean, I think it's affirming, actually. It's you know, so affirming. Yeah, being a kid in academia, you know, as a young young adult and everything, that I found that very affirming. And and there's many points you make in this book in this chapter, actually, that um, that resonate on that level. And, and we'll mm -hmm. get there, and we can talk about it a little more in depth. Um, I love this too. You talk about Freud. He theorized that creativity arose from the tension between the conscious reality and unconscious drives. And then you say even sexual drives shocker, which is really <laughs> yeah. funny. Um, yeah, I yeah. kind of thought at that one. Thank you, because uh, <laughs> I'm so not funny. But you, if, even if I didn't look it up, I, I could have guessed it with, without right. researching. What did Freud say? But yeah, I mean, and and any um, any union of opposites, which you find in you know literature or art or anything, any union of opposites warrants creativity and that juxtaposition of, you know, cause you're correlating, mm -hmm. you're, you're correlating things with your skill, your creativity skills, which is, you know, like divergent or convergent, you are correlating the union of opposites and realizing that, and then realizing that it's in nature everywhere. Right. It's, it's that same affirmation when you go, Oh my exactly. God. And what the affirmation points to, it's not just, Oh, I'm affirmed. My sense of self and my ego is affirmed. The affirmation is the unity. That's yeah. what's happening, yeah. right? And, and David Bohm um, and David Pete, both doctors, use the word synchronicity. And I don't know if they coined it, um, you know, like Margaret Sanger coined Planned Parenthood, I think, or voluntary motherhood. Like somebody will coin a phrase and then we adopt it in culture. And so synchronicity is exactly that. When you, 
when you experience something and then you come across it and it's a synchronistic moment and then you know you're connected you're yeah. you're yeah you're just connected you know it it's yeah it's 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 not an ideological thing like your idea is affirmed but that there is a there is a consciousness that reflects the consciousness within you that's ultimately what it is right and it feels good to know you are where you need to be and and that all you're searching that there's these little tiny little glimpses of um truth and that you're you're coming across them and you're digesting them and savoring them and then you get another one and another one and sometimes it doesn't happen i mean i've been dry from synchronicity for many many months and many years and then when it finally happens again i feel like okay i'm i feel connected and it's not an ego thing at all it's just right. a joyful thing to say oh it's like um it's a way to connect like oh my gosh me too it's an aha totally. moment it's the opposite of ego ultimately yeah. 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 yeah yeah um so then you talk about nature and nurture and the environmental components of creativity um and then you talk about how researchers really study the traits in highly creative people that it resulted in you know like people like einstein michelangelo that resulted in them focusing on the elite and the educated yeah. and of course, white men, you yeah. know, and that whole, mm -hmm. that whole thing. Um, but that they were unable to, to really find any DNA proof of creativity. Mm -hmm. Um, and so they weren't able to, to quantify it really. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there was the idea of convergent and divergent thinking that, um, came out and, and they could measure, oh, let's try and measure it. And uh, last week or the week before that, we talked about the George land study, um, about the children and, and how they all tested geniuses. So, Th this is fascinating and, and we don't even have to go on to the components if we can unpack this idea that how can we study creativity and how can we measure it and what happened when they did start studying it because i had to study the history of the study of creativity because it's right. it's it's not like um it's like when you study astronomy they tell you well at first we thought this you know at yeah. first we thought that we went around the sun and then and i think why do we have to study what we used to think well it's all part of it yeah so in this the study of creativity you have to go back and look at how they tried to quantify qualify and study creativity and figure out what it was and then once you start reading that section and you get into these portions well first they thought this then they thought this then where we bring it back around it comes back to what julia cam i mean uh, elizabeth said elizabeth um gilbert Gilbert says in the beginning about the muses and it's like, oh, really? Oh, we're going right. to go that route. It's magic. Come on. Yeah, but it's it's both. Right. And that's the point of that story, uh, yeah. you know, about the Balinese dancers. And also you even say it right here, like um, once we kind of categorized creativity as a long list of mental processes, um, then it became, you know, this is ordinary cognitive functions, right? That's what creativity is, but that's sort of the reductionistic version of it. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it, it's it's like, okay, creative creativity isn't mystical and, and out of reach anymore or elite anymore, it's, it's ordinary. And that's really the fundamental truth of it is that it's both, it's mm -hmm. mystical and it's mundane at the same time, mm -hmm. just and, as everything is. And my brother did the chart for me. Did you see the chart? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, I should have brought my book with me, but I'll show it next time. I'll just hold it right up to the camera. Here, but let me it, share my screen real quick. I think oh, we can cool. do it. Yeah. Do it. Yeah, thank you. My brother, Dominic Domingo. Okay, you want to talk? Can you see it? 
Um, yeah, I can. Let's see. Um, so yeah, so they start off, you know, the Greeks saying that it's a divine uh, characteristic that it comes from the gods. And then they, they start saying they, the scientists, um, you know, however many years later, because really it wasn't a study. They didn't study creativity officially. I think it was more like after the 40s where it became a, a, like a, a field. Um, right. But I'd have to look it up. I don't remember. Anyway, the conscious and unconscious, the, uh, the straddling, the conscious and unconscious and how some people are in an environment where they can do that and some are not. And that's the nature and nurture that mm -hmm. some people just are at the right place at the right time. And they're more creative because, you know, whatever. Um, and then the trait in the state. I don't know. I'm not I'm I'm just trying to go too fast. Um, what did I say about the trait in the state? Let's see. Um, here, I can uh, stop the share for a second. Or actually, you know, okay, so they were studying the traits. And then where were we? You want to just like, just get back into it, and we can bring it up when we get to it. Oh, yeah, I mean, and I don't have to explain each one. The point of that, that beautiful circle is that it, it just makes me cry that no matter how much you unpack it and you you unravel it, it's still it's still a piece of God. Yeah. It, and so all the academics that poured their heart and soul into the study of creativity, uh, Sternberg wrote the Handbook of Creativity and Rollo May wrote a book. Of, I mean, all the books that were written between 1945, they interviewed Picasso, they interviewed just all these artists, um, they got all the creativity quotes, like, how come you're so, everything is pushed together and then they analyze it and it's still, it's still a force of nature. Yeah. It yeah. makes me cry. So that's the whole point of that. And, you know, an academic person or, you know, a scholarly person would want to see these studies and um, they're all in the back of the book, every study right. and where I got my information. But, you know, the way I put it together is my heart. It's my heart that yeah. it is almost a religion to both you and me and like my brother Nick and when when you interact with it and you're it's just like you could go for hours on a bible verse you could go for hours on a buddhist um poem and you can go for hours just looking at the force of creativity and going I can't believe I'm a part of this and that I get to function with this so the whole point of that is that it, study it all you want analyze all the literature all the you know, all the academic studies and findings and interviews and, and you're going to come up short because it's just all that. Right. And that's what you say ex exactly next in, in the book is that we aren't similar to the process. It's not like we have a, a mimic of the process of creativity inside our, our own experience. We are literally the same as the forces of nature that are at work in the universe at large as creativity. Mm -hmm. It's intrinsic to what we are, to life itself, to existence, mm -hmm. to- And, and to I didn't make that up. I mean, I get to repeat it um, in a little bit more articulate and um, exciting way than David Bohm, because he was just so precious. He was a scientist and, you know, he, he talked really softly and really quickly and he had a little, little like accent, but, it's a big thing that you want to stand on the mountaintop and say it's not just we're not just similar to like this great oak or the stars exploding right. in the sky we are the same it's the same same matter it's the yeah. same process it's this one and the same that is something to proclaim 
totally yeah it's beautiful and so, so I, didn't <laughs> I didn't make sorry. it up i got it from david bohm yeah i mean the the research is here clearly um and then you talk about you know how this how neuroscientists came to hook people up basically to um fmris magnetic resonance imaging right yeah encephalographs um, with the little yeah. things on their brain yes and started to measure creativity and then they discovered the idea of the god spot like the frontal lobes mm -hmm. um, of the prefrontal cortex they house the segment of the brain that's associated with religious transcendent experiences and and that's the same area that lights up when creativity is employed and, so and that's so it was scientific that it goes back in that circle because they found that when they hooked the songwriters up that's the light that went on and it's the same light that goes on when you're praying right and as when you're creating right exactly so so prayer to me is is kind of that um putting into language usually that it's a dialogue right with creativity itself with the godhead or you know the universal whatever you want to call that um universal energy and so that is one version of creation obviously we're creating what we're saying we're we're setting an intention you know it's mm -hmm. kind of like the, the whole manifesting thing is like that's the creation the creative energy happening and then the actual creative process is not different from that it's you know we're making a pot or we're making a painting or we're you know nursing a child or whatever it is what we're doing and then even I would be very interested to see the correlates between meditation and those states too, mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. flow state and meditation have a lot of um, correlation as far as, you know, alpha versus whatever, like beta, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. so that would be really interesting to see too. Well, and that's what's so cool about, like, I've only dabbled in each thing, except, you know, ma major fundamental Christianity. But when you see the... Um, so you're like nursing a child are you in a flow state meditating what's going on with your beta waves your alpha waves your delta waves um painting what's going on and and just all the similarities uh, between a religion uh, like buddhism or um this whole manifestation religion uh, new age um the woo woo cult right now right mm -hmm. it's scientifically backed yeah. And even yeah. and even if you want to take it to the nth degree and, you know, nobody would, you know, I'd probably get my head twisted off for saying it, but, you know, Jesus and his miracles and the, mm -hmm. the surprises that he manifested, it's the same manifestation wow. that, that they, that Jesus said, my, my, you'll do better than your teacher. I love it, that. It, it's amazing. There's a book called, um, Oh, here I go again. There's a book on the Tao, Jesus Christ and the Tao, and Jesus Christ and metaphysical manifestation. And I'll find it and give it to you. Um, and how he walked on water and all of the miracles um, correlated with the New Age manifestation intention thing, which correlates with the, um, you know, meditation for um, better health healing yourself it all like the co-creation of your own physical body um and healing yourself you know my brother's really really into that he listens to um i don't know who it is uh esther hicks maybe mm -hmm. so but i love that i don't do anything heavily but i can see that i but because of that i can see oh my gosh that's all the same oh, you can see that you can see yeah. the correlation and the yeah. continuity <clears throat> excuse me continuity. yeah and i love what you said about jesus too 
and our ability. So in a sense, you know, I would say that Jesus's ability to create either create healing or, you know, whatever instantaneously is probably directly correlate to his lack of self, lack of ego, right? So mm. he's completely in the flow state all the time, mm. the creative process all the time, because he is Beautiful. at one with the universe, right? So mm -hmm. our inability to manifest or whatever, you know, we want to, however we want to phrase that is directly related to how, how much we're filtering our experience of the universal through the self, mm -hmm. right? Because the mm -hmm. self is a filter. It's blocking ah, creative right. energy, right? Well said. It's but a filter. said about Jesus, it hit something. Really well, um, it's, this is very powerful for me because this is like um, a conversation that I wasn't able to, or a dialogue or whatever, a, a perspective that is too, it's very dangerous to put into writing, right? Yeah. Um, but there is a small following or a cult, whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. um, where the manifest type hippie type people are um, really following David Bohm right now which yeah. thrills me, but yeah. I just like when something is science-based. Right. So, um, you know, even when people channel spirits, I want to find the science behind that. Yeah. I want to yeah. find the science between epigenetics and, yeah. um, you know, uh, whatever, what's it called? What the bleep do we know? Um, sure. I, I want to see the science behind it. I, I want to yeah. believe, um, in, in the matter all being entangled and the biology of belief. I want to combine it. So, yeah, but I wasn't willing to put all that in there. So it's fun that we just kind of dabbled in, in that yeah. perspective because yeah. it's, it's mighty powerful. It's so powerful. I don't even want to touch it. Totally. And I agree with you. You know, I'm the same way. Like I want to see, you know, I believe in metaphor. I believe in mystery. I believe in all those things. And I believe in that we, which we cannot explain, but those moments when we can explain it, and we can bring something into our, our realm of understanding, our, our magical. I mean, that's jnana yoga. That's the path of knowledge, right? And, and so that's why science is so important, not only because it, you know, it's from this kind of materialistic viewpoint, it's, it's mm -hmm. verifiable, verifiable, but because it unifies, you know, right. the intellectual self with that universal self. And, and so in, in that sense, it's its own spiritual practice. Well said. Um, you sent me a JFK quote, just exactly that. Like when we think we have, um, you know, the black and white thing that we're going to do, we need poetry because that's the, that unconscious human element is what we need um, in, all, in all of our process, whether it's political or, you know, just even in a small family or a community we need poetry. We need to add the unconscious. We need to add that humanity to our, you know, stoicism or to our tenets that are so important. And it's a right. great quote. I didn't memorize yeah. it or I would quote it. Yeah, that's okay. I, I can uh, put it in the show notes or bring it up next yeah. time. Yeah, I was, I was surprised at it too, but I thought it really captured the essence of you know, the, everything we're doing, you know, the, the outward, like what I would call the solar or the masculine, um, expression of the world that we've kind of, we're very tipped towards right now. Mm -hmm. It's all, it's all equally important, but what, what JFK is saying in this quote is that the po poetry is essentially like our, our conscious, like our conscience, yeah. not our conscious, but our conscience that's saying, okay, whatever, whatever we're doing here, let's not get lost in the weeds. Let's remember the essence of why we do it, which is our humanity. Right. 
Mm-hmm. And, and that's why this discussion, I think, is so important, because when well, we lose our humanity, then what are we doing? We're just ants building anthills, you know? Mm-hmm. And I like when you also bring it back around to like ego, small self, larger self, you know, um, but where this whole section of the book is going to go towards the precepts, because this is just preliminary to what is creativity and why are we creative? This is why are we studying it? And so all this whole circle that we just talked about and then all this ancillary stuff that we're talking about like religion and faith and magic and meditation all of this leads to the marriage of the seen and the unseen and because yeah. after i studied it for so long i needed to package it right you got to package it and i had to package it in a way that was not the manifestation um community and it wasn't buddhism and it wasn't christian i wanted it to be creativity theory so this is my theory that it's the seen and the unseen. And this is going to lead us into those precepts and help us understand that there's two sides to everything. Here's my hand, this is the seen and this is the unseen. And then when you start to filter everything through the seen and the unseen, the interior and the exterior, society and the individual and what it means and how it functions for all of us, then it sounds really complicated, but we break it down. And we just led up to that when you just said the masculine, what where we're tipping, tipping, and the yin and the yang or the the the, the external and the internal. It's the seen and the unseen. Yes. We need that. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And that's, that's the other half, you know, I try to put it in non-gendered terms or whatever, but there's the, the internal self Mm -hmm. or the internal experience and the external experience. And I think that actually might be the best way I've heard it yet. That's completely, um, hopefully free of any kind of stigma. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I'm very grateful for that metaphor and that you've put forth in this book, um, is, is this integration of the inner and the outer. And mm-hmm. what we see in the world, I would say at, at largely is the ig- ignoring of the inner. In our, in our culture. Yes. And it screams at me. So for sure, cause we have to end, but for sure, when we get together in the next, the next time we do it, like two weeks from now, I'm going to bring my metaphor, which is a pot. Cause this is right next after we talk about all of this stuff, then I go into this metaphor of the pot and I talk about the internal and the external. And so I will have I will have my pot with me and I will hold it up and we will use it for the internal and the external, the seen and the unseen so that it doesn't sound, it's not, it's not so complicated when you have a big fat object lesson to refer to. Yeah. I love it. I love bringing it into the tangible once again and grounding it. And, and then we can do your, your pot exercise and meditation as well. Okay. Yeah. Let's. Okay, so let's go into that now. And I am going to shut off so that there's, I always do, but I'm going to shut off and I probably won't come back. Like I I can see at the end of when we do this, sometimes I come back and I'm like, ah, I'm just not going to come back. Right. That's fine. That's okay. okay. But I'm still here. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Just go ahead and shut it off. That's totally fine. Um, All right. Let's go ahead and drop into our bodies. Dropping out of the head, dropping out of the exterior, as we just spoke about. We're dropping into the inner world, the inner world of the breath, the inner world of sensation, whatever's going on inside. The side of experience that maybe we don't pay as much attention to, or sometimes maybe we even run away from. 
maybe when we're experiencing difficult emotions or maybe we feel a sense of isolation or, or fear when we drop in in this way. But the more we get to know our inner worlds, the more we can actually connect to this subtle force of creativity that we're discussing because that's where it resides within us. That's where that force makes its home within us. And that's why we are a part of it because it lives there. So when we drop in in this way, we're learning to listen to that latent force of creativity within us to connect to that in intrinsic quality that we all possess. So letting the eyes fall shut, reaching up through the crown of the head to keep the spine erect and relaxing the rest of the body. And just focus on the breath. I often like to think of the breath as flossing with the universe, bringing in the life force and spreading that life force throughout my body from, from the nose all the way down the esophagus into the lungs, expanding the belly and chest. And then all the cells of the body are also experiencing that oxygen. So just as you, as Renee spoke of breathing the same air as Keats in, when you're in London, potentially breathing that same air, we're breathing the same air, the same life force as every living thing on the planet. We're bringing that into our bodies and then exhaling. And we become a part of that whole. We've exhaled a part of ourselves into that whole. So in this way, I think of the breath as flossing with the universe communing reciprocally, sharing a part of ourselves and welcoming in that of the other, that of the so-called separate that is not separate. And just allowing the mind to rest on the breath. So whenever the mind becomes distracted or it tells a story about the past or the future, or it starts to wonder what's for dinner or what you're doing tomorrow, you can just bring it back to the breath. Our minds are designed for problem solving and for action. And they don't want to sit with what is. They don't want to sit with the truth of the inner life. And so we can teach them just like we can teach our children to just sit and be and relax over and over again into the present moment. And to relax into the truth of our inner connectivity. Focusing on the inhalation as it fills the belly and chest 
and the exhalation as the chest and belly fall. Feeling the breath on the tips of the nostrils. Cool as it comes in and warm as it exhales from the body. Bringing in the cool air of the space around you. And exhaling the warm air from inside your warm pulsing body, the body that is full of life and vigor and fire and vitality. Intermingling with the cool, open emptiness of the air and the universe itself. knowing that there's nothing to do, no action to take, no questions that need answering, that all that we're doing is simply experientially touching the truth of our existence that's accessible to us at all times, no matter who we are, no matter where we are, no matter our gender, our roles, something we all share. And that the breath and becoming aware of the inner life can be the conduit to this experience, this shared experience of truth. Continuing to allow the thinking mind to dissolve into the breath. Dissolving the self into the universal. And as you're ready, you can become aware of the space that you're in. Become aware of the body taking up space, the feeling and sensation of the space against the skin. Become aware of the building that you're in. Continuing to externalize the awareness. And then as you're ready, you can gently open the eyes. Can you hear me? Yes. I, I think it's such a great compliment. It's such a good thing to talk about the external and all this conversation and then just to 
just to bring it all back. I love yeah, it so much. I love it. Right. It's a great, great compliment. I don't know if it's compliment, but whatever. I like your word conduit. I know I'm not supposed to comment. It's so great though. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. If it, it yeah. fits so well. Thank you. My pleasure. Okay. I'll see you, see you in next time. Okay. Right. Bye. Bye.